Welcome to this special broadcast of Techopia Live, how to scale your tech venture to different paths. I'm Michael Kern from the Ottawa Business Journal. Thanks so much for joining us today. I'm looking forward to this discussion. It is a perennial one that I think is happening all the times in the boardrooms of Ottawa's tech firms. And the, the question is, what is the right path to grow revenues and scale operations? Something that's on the minds of all entrepreneurs, whether it's in the pandemic, post-pandemic, pre-pandemic, this is what everyone wants to speak about. And we're going to explore uh, that issue through the decisions and actions of two uh, Ottawa-based companies. In that sense, it's almost like we're doing a, a little case study in this live broadcast. Uh, part of the case study is Trellis, which uses artificial intelligence algorithms to help e-commerce companies get better returns on their marketing budget. For Trellis, the right path was a $1.5 million seed funding round to accelerate the growth. So that's Trellis, that's path number one. So it was a venture capital uh, path. Uh, the second uh, kind of case study here is on Lightship Security, which automates the process of verifying IT hardware, such as switchers and routers to meet uh, rigorous government uh, standards. So that's what Lightship does. Lightship made a decision earlier this year to take a different path in terms of to scale its operations. They were actually acquired by a Spanish cybersecurity company that does business, I guess this might be key to that decision, does business in 70 different countries around the world. So two Ottawa-based companies, two very different uh, paths. And uh, on top of talking to Trellis and Lightship, I'm very happy today to be joined uh, by a co-host uh, she is the co-founder and managing partner of Number Crunch. Let's learn a little bit more about that firm. Number Crunch is an Ottawa-based firm that allows you to outsource your financials, especially if you're a technology startup or early stage company. Number Crunch services range from bookkeeping, accounts receivable, monthly reconciliations, to full virtual CFO services, including investment preparation, and cash flow forecasting. Number Crunch is led by Susan Richards and Craig Hunt. Combined, they have more than 40 years of financial experience in this market, having advised dozens of firms. Number Crunch will help your company mitigate risk by ensuring proper accounting procedures, provide you with strategic input, and scale along with your business. To get a quote on outsourcing your accounting, please visit www.numbercrunch.ca. So that is Number Crunch, and we're going to be I'm going to be co-hosting with its leader. Let me tell you a little bit about her. She um, uh, is a co-founder, as I indicated, managing partner of Number Crunch. Uh, she's uh, run her own uh, tech venture, uh, Giveopoly, from 2012-2018. Uh, uh, she's a virtual CFO to many local tech companies, and that's really why I love having her on the show, because she's helping make these strategic companies and, and looking at the P&Ls and balance sheets of these companies. Uh, she's also spent seven years uh, as the chair of Invest Ottawa, also on the board, by the way, of KNBA. I'm starting to wonder how she sleeps uh, or when she sleeps, not how. Uh, but without further ado, let's uh, welcome Susan Richards. Hey, Susan. 
Pleasure to be here. Thank you. That sounds like a lot. Um, it does sound like a lot. <laughs> How do you do it? Well, admittedly, you know, I did scale back my KNBA. I do champion uh, Kanata okay. North. We are located in Kanata, so I'm a huge champion there. But uh, um, my my profile okay. needs to be updated. Okay. At this point, so we'll we'll cross one thing we'll off. Yeah, list. but so it's, um, it's only I, fourteen things. It's not. That's, it's not fifteen. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh, what a relief, Susan. Yeah, you're being very uh, very diligent here in, in uh, 2022. Well, you know, it's the accountant in me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good. So uh, listen, genuinely, one of the reasons I love talking to you is is because I think you're in a really unique position in Ottawa because, you know, you're you're running the firm, you're virtual CFO, uh, you've got great visibility into what Invest Ottawa is doing. So I always like to check in with you, Susan, uh, as you might know. So how do you think we're doing in Ottawa? So it's, you know, March, April here, uh, 2022, we're hopefully at the end of a you know, pandemic. What are you seeing out there? Yeah, I still see, I mean, lots of opportunity. So I think that's a key, you know, an optimistic view here is that there was a lot of money deployed in 2021 and arguably even 2020. Um, we had great valuations, um, but of course we still have a lot of uncertainty. There's questions still about COVID, although I think we're going into a season of uh, feeling good personally from that standpoint. Um, but there's still questions about the future around that. And certainly with what's going on in the world uh, from a, a, you know, a global standpoint with the, the war in Ukraine, um, you know, that has a lot of uncertainty, too. So I think it's going to continue to be, um, you know, uncertain, um, but we're well practiced in that. And I think from that, there still comes lots of opportunities. Uh, we're talking to two people here who have taken uh great um you know opportunity to uh to grow and scale and i think focused approaches um are going to continue to see great success there so i feel very optimistic but i think we have to be prudent yeah that's that sounds like a good virtual cfo uh, answer <laughs> by the way uh, the answer i would give too yeah. so uh, you're not alone <laughs> i think and, the popular ahead, piece that i would add is that uh you know I, I like to keep an eye on profitability and how far away that is for these tech companies. Uh, growth is the number one um, target and objective in the near term, um, but we can never get too far away from getting either cash flow neutral or EBITDA positive um, in an uncertain market. So I think that tempers us in our ability and, and, and factors into some of these decisions about how you're going to scale. Um, and, and what happens if you have a moment of uncertainty in the future? Who are you better off with um, down the road? Um, is it, you know, a company who's acquired you that has um, all that infrastructure to already um, introduce you to the markets without having to build that internally? Or is it um, a funder, an investor who's interested in your space and is intending to be with you for the long haul? Those kinds of things are really key uh, in a market like this. That's some great, great context. And and we should acknowledge, you know, these are very complex questions. That's why people need people yeah. like you, virtual CFOs and boards of directors. So, you know, we're, we're going to explore both these uh, paths here for about seven minutes or so. But uh, I guess we it's almost like that. Uh, you put the little asterisk. You should speak to your accounting professional before making any of these decisions. It's true. It's true. There are things to keep in mind. I think, you know, doing a business model going out three to five years, we never know what we can predict, but you have to kind of build that case that can be that what's that story and how does it look financially over a three to five year period? And then also, how ready are you for due diligence? What is the type of information that a potential investor or acquirers going to be interested in? And can you even demonstrate that? Um, yeah. And those, the, you know, the front end and the back end, those two pieces are 
critical factors in making the right choice. Um, if you know, if you want to do a transaction this year, for example. Yeah. And, and uh, I should point out, this is we did a show on that several months back. So that is archived on the OBJ YouTube. So you should watch that one too, because before you make any of the two take any of the two paths that we're about to talk about here, you need to get ready. And that yes. was the last show for sure. That's right. So let's uh, we're going to divide today's uh, show into in kind of three key parts, and we'll we'll bring the agenda here on screen. Path number one, which will be the first part, is how to use venture capital to scale. And we'll uh, we'll be talking uh, to uh, one of our local companies. Path number two is how to scale through mergers and acquisitions. And then sometime around 1225, 1230, if you're watching this live, we'll be looking for some questions uh, for the audience. So Susan, why don't we make our uh, our first guest, our first uh, case study. Uh, he is the co-founder and CEO of Trellis. Uh, please welcome Fahim Sheik. And here is Fahim. There he is. Hello. Hey, Michael. Hey, Susan. Welcome. Uh, great to have you here, uh, Fahim. And thank you. First of all, thanks for sharing. Right. So I, I appreciate that a lot of these decisions are very private <laughs> and that you're willing to step into public here and uh, and answer some of these questions. So, of course, we're talking about potentially uh, venture capital scale. But Fahim, let's just get everybody acquainted with Trellis. So give us a give us an overview of Trellis. Sure. Thank, uh, thanks for having me, uh, both Michael and Susan. Uh, pleasure to be here. Uh, Trellis, we started Trellis back in 2019, and it's really uh, an AI-powered demand generation platform really geared at helping merchants that are selling on marketplaces like Amazon or Walmart, even having some of their products on Google Shopping, um, by driving more traffic, more eyeballs to their listing, and in really helping them grow uh, their uh, grow their revenue on in a profitable manner, right? So that's what we do, and we have uh, a lot of automation and AI in our platform, um, and uh, we have an awesome awesome team here in Ottawa. So really, really excited uh, to tell you more about Trellis. So, um, by the way, that sounds like a like a the right idea at the right time. My gosh, right? Like the, the pandemic really is. Is, uh, setting it's, up. It's, it's been unbelievable. I mean, uh, I know a lot of people suffered through COVID, uh, but for e-commerce, it's just been growing tenfold uh, since COVID hit. So knock on wood, it was, uh, it was a great uh, time to start this venture. And uh, we've just been seeing you know, amazing month over month growth. So a, a great opportunity, right time. Um, a few months back, Fahim, uh, you and your uh, co-founders, executive team, board of directors, financial advisors made a decision to uh, take some venture capital in a seed round. Tell us about why you did that. That's a good question. And it's always a question on a lot of founders' minds is which direction should you take, right? And uh, I was fortunate to have spent some time with a few local startups uh, prior to starting Trellis. And these startups went more on the bootstrap approach where they had a product idea, but they were uh, trying to bootstrap the development through taking on contracts. Um, and, and, and I found in that approach, what happens is uh, the team gets defocused. They get distracted. They end up spending a lot of time on on uh, trying to bring in the revenue to fund the development. And what that happen, what happens because of that is you end, you end up delaying your product market fit. 
And um, you kind of get spoiled in a way because you do have revenue coming in and it takes away the pressure from the revenue that you really want is the, uh, the revenue for the product that you're building, right? So um, I saw that in two startups, um, many years went by, they never achieved product market fit and, um, and, and, and uh, the, the growth wasn't there on really the vision that they had at the beginning, right? So uh, we took a much different approach, right? Um, my co-founder and I, we decided to take on some venture capital we saw, uh, again, because of COVID and how e-commerce was taking off, we saw an opportunity in a lot of white space in the market that we were in. And in order to for us to sort of become dominant in that space, we needed the funds to accelerate our development and we needed the funds to actually fuel some of the growth. And, and that's the reason why we, we, we took on uh, venture capital. Veen, that is an excellent, excellent response, uh, in part because it's based on your experience and a, and a lot of business savvy there. Susan, let's let's bring you back into the conversation. I mean, this is an experienced um, uh, entrepreneur we're speaking here to. Mm -hmm. And I love the fact that he, he uh, compared and contrasted bootstrapping, you know, with venture capital. Is, is this something that you see uh, in your clients or generally in the community that people need to weigh? Absolutely. Um, I think sometimes the timing of when to bring somebody in, the early stage valuations, people want to kind of hold off longer and longer and they try to bootstrap, but that can really take, um, as Fahim pointed out, it can really delay the, like unfocus the team and therefore delay the revenues, delay a clear understanding of the, the market. And, um, and from that point where you have the idea to where you can demonstrate product market fit. If that's too long in there, you may lose the excitement factor of potential investors as well. So you gotta really hit when you can. Uh, Fahim was in a market that um, many institutions could understand and appreciate the opportunity in this uh, pandemic. You don't have to know business to know that this is a great spot to be in. And, um, and he has a product that he's able to demonstrate um, can do the job. So. Um, now, you know, sooner than later, others may not have that. Others may have an education that they have to get through. But um, in this situation, it definitely was a, a wise decision uh, to be able to secure that money uh, sooner. It's a gamble. Everything's a gamble. Um, but it's, uh, you know, you're, you don't launch a technology firm uh, unless you're planning to go, uh, you know, go rocket ship. This is not for the faint of heart. There needs to be a big market and there's risks you got to be willing to take. Yeah. You know, this is really interesting because I think a lot of us would say you need to bootstrap uh, Fahim. You, you know, you should maintain 100 uh, percent of the equity and you should just, you know, keep on uh, on trucking forward. But but what I heard from you and Susan there that speed at this was like a critical factor. Like we can't we need to do now because the idea, the, the timing is right. So was speed part of that decision. Fahim, oh. like we need the money now and we need to grow really quick. Uh, absolutely. And I think it's just because of the market opportunity we had. Right. And, and, and I think COVID obviously helped on that. But if we if we did not take this path, we would not be bringing in the kind of feature set and functionality that we needed to drive uh, even more growth uh, for 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 the for trellis. Right. So. Uh, we needed the money to, to hire more developers. We needed the money to bring in more sales resources and marketing resources and really capture the opportunity that was in front of us, right? And by bootstrapping or even being, you know, more conservative uh, like we tend to be here in Canada, 
Uh, we, 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 we didn't think that was the right approach and we needed to be aggressive if we really want to dominate the space. And, and this was the time and, and the opportunity was in front of us. So we either go big or go home, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's such a good example. Thank thank you for sharing uh, that, Fahim. By the way, we're going to put you on pause, uh, Fahim, for a second here. We're not we're not going to bid adieu. You're going to come back, uh, but we want to go on to our second path and start taking a look at that. So Susan, you'll stick with me. Uh, the second path, as we indicated, was you know scaling through mergers and acquisitions. We see this quite frequently. In fact, there's been a, a, a tremendous uptick, quite frankly, in M and A. Uh, as you know, Susan, yep. partially driven by valuations. In some cases, uh, Ottawa firms are the buyers. Sometimes they're the sellers. <laughs> and we're gonna we're gonna take an example uh, in this case of uh, of someone who is a seller. So we're gonna introduce now Jason Lawler, who is the president of Lightship Security. Welcome, Jason. Hi, Michael. Hi, Susan. Thanks for having me. Welcome. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for being with us. We uh, once again, we appreciate that you guys opening the kimono, as they say, and and sharing some of the decisions that you made, Jason. So again, let's get to know um, Lightship before we get into the decision that was made. Tell us about Lightship. Sure. Well, unlike Fahid, we are actually a bootstrap company. So we started uh, about six years ago. We are a tech-enabled services business, so a slightly different structure than Pahid. We we were able to generate service revenue out of the gate, which helped us to, to bootstrap. But over the years, uh, we've grown this uh, organization to almost 40 people. We're headquartered in Ottawa. We have operations in Austin, Texas, and Vancouver. We are um, we're a, a company that tests and verifies IT security products for some of the who's who in the in the industry. So we work with folks like Dell and Cisco and Fortinet and Microsoft, and we certify their products so that they can be deployed into government networks in a safe and secure way. That is, that is really interesting. What a what a great opportunity, just just like Trellis, uh, talking about cybersecurity is, is gonna be so so hot coming up. Uh, and, and Jason, I should indicate, you talked about growth already. Uh, I, I'm quite sure uh, Lightship was on our fastest growing companies list. So um, so you guys are experiencing all of this growth. And then a few months ago, you take a very different uh, decision from Fahim, and that was a decision to be acquired. Can you share a little bit of uh, the thought process in that? Yeah, sure. So I, I think we were certainly sort of at an inflection point. You're right. In both the 2019 and 2021, we made the Ottawa's fastest growing uh, companies list with the primarily services revenue. But one of our key differentiators in the marketplace was our approach to building uh, automation capabilities to do this kind of work in a faster, more efficient way, which is really net new uh, in our industry. So we came to this inflection point and we said, look, we have to accelerate the, the product development here. We really, we, we need a mechanism to build the technology faster so that we can scale the operation so that we can expand geographically. Our services can be leveraged kind of worldwide. Our, most of our clients are in the US, probably about 80%, but we do have a growing client base in places like the UK, Australia, South Korea. And so, you know, we came to this point where we said, how do we do this? And the options were, you know, debt financing, we talked to BDC, we looked at other options, venture capital. Um, but at the end of the day, we wanted to find a strategic partner that got what we were doing, that was aligned with our business and that was gonna fill some gaps for us, right? We had some holes in the portfolio, we had some gaps geographically and 
by being acquired by A-plus laboratories. Uh, A-plus is a publicly traded Spanish uh, test inspection and certification company. We were acquired by their laboratories division in February, and it's really good alignment for us. Uh, it gives them a North American kind of foothold for these services, and it gives us immediate access to uh, a European market that's burgeoning around cybersecurity certification of products. So really good fit. So I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, read that back to you a little bit. So um, you were at an inflection point. Uh, I think I heard that there was a need uh, for more automation. So that obviously requires uh, a big investment in technology. Uh, that you were growing a global market in terms of your customers, but you wanted to accelerate that. So the, was the decision then, Jason? It was a little bit about we need to do some investment in the technology, but equally we need to open up uh, markets. And the Spanish-based publicly traded company, uh, as I indicated earlier, I think it is working in 70 countries. So does that kind of summarize some of the decisions that you made? Yeah, exactly. So we were getting really good market demand for our test automation tooling. And so as a bootstrap company, we just couldn't scale the development team, you know, non-billable non resources, as Susan would know about, to, to, to do that in an effective way with through our own pocket. So we needed a partner that, that could help us accelerate that product development side and immediately be able to funnel that technology into, into new areas. So that was you know, a, a really good, um, hate the word, but there was some really good synergy there. Okay, and, and again, I'm gonna bring you back in the conversation, Susan. So a complex decision, not easy. I'm sure they agonized over it, quite frankly. Um, but, but give me your take on, on this type of decision. So this is the path where you're going more mergers and acquisitions. Absolutely. So I think I'll even start with the bootstrapped aspect of it. So there's key things in Lightship's business that uh, they had that service to be able to fund. They have the type of customer too that's able to fund their growth. So to an extent, they were able to have phenomenal growth already until they got to that in inflection point. But then when they were able to tool up and see an efficient, even more efficient delivery and, and then wanted to fast track globally, at that point, you're not looking so much as a, at a strategic funder as you are a strategic partner. And so the options available to companies at that point are certainly an M&A. Some may look at to channels. They may think they can pull it off uh, with channels, but channels is really, you have a business to business relationship and you're hoping they're gonna sell your product. It takes a lot longer uh, for that to usually take effect. Um, but if you can find the right strategic partner that can acquire, you have instant access then to that global market. And as as uh, Jay pointed out, there's uh, it takes a lot of time, especially in a market like this where there's a fight for talent, it would take a, a long time to be able to acquire all of those strategic resources that had the knowledge to get him in the foothold of those regions. So phenomenal decision. Again, you have to be in that particular um, profile uh, for that to be right. So really interesting. Yeah, the, the timing for us was was interesting, right? Because we, we didn't have to sell. Like the business was growing year over year, um, you know, 100% plus sort of year over year. So we were in a very good position, but we wanted to, you know, really accelerate that, especially on the technology side. So. You know, we did the thing that Susan talked about. We made sure we kind of prepped from a due diligence perspective, had the financials in order. We're doing mature reporting on on our because we have a, a, a U.S. operation as well, so that adds complexity to the to the financial reporting as a subsidiary. So there was a bunch of things that had to get put in place, which I feel like we did 
a pretty reasonable job there with good advice from a lot of uh, a lot of folks in the industry, and uh, that was it was a good result. And uh, we should point out, Jason, there's risks on both sides, right? You continue to bootstrap. There's risks there. You take the venture capital, try to uh, build up the team. As Susan said, find partners. Are they really going to have your priority? Make you a priority? And then there's the the risk of of joining a company that. You go through all sorts of due diligence, but you maybe don't really understand their culture or their leadership till you're in it. So it's it's you were awash in risks, right, Jason? Yeah, but like Susan said, if you're starting a company, especially bootstrapping it six years ago, it's like we're already you know the risk is already up here. So what's what's a little bit more? Um, but that but it's a really good point, Michael. I, I think that we're staying on. The founders are all staying on to help accelerate and grow the business, right? So it was really important that there was a cultural fit and that we could work with uh, the new owners and that we could, you know, partner with them in a, in a, in a productive way. So that was, that was a big part of the calculus of beyond the financial piece. Okay. We're going to, uh, we're going to shift to our uh, Q and a, we're, we're probably in the wrap up phase, but there's still more to come. So don't leave us. Uh, if you're watching live, you can pose a question on uh, YouTube if you're locked in. So uh, logged in that is, so, so I'll be watching for that, but we'll bring, uh, let's bring Fahim back on the screen as well. And maybe Fahim, I'll start with you. So, you know, part of the things that founders, co-founders struggle with when it comes to venture capital is giving up equity. How did, how did, what were your personal thoughts on that in terms of accepting uh, the, uh, the seed funding round? Yeah, we've never really worried about that too much. Uh, I think, you know, you, you're going to have to give up, uh, you're going to have to give up equity whenever or you raise funds, right? So I think it comes down to the numbers and the kind of valuations you're able to bring in. Um, and if the if the numbers make sense, then absolutely. It's, it's, it, and for us, that's the way it was. We got a, uh, we've got a very decent val <clears throat> excuse me, valuation. And uh, it was it just it just made a lot of sense to to go ahead with the with the venture capital. And Susan, just your comment on that. So is the right way to approach that giving up equity uh, that I can own a small part of a, a big part of a small pie or a smaller part of a really big pie? Is, is that the calculus that founders need to think about? It is. And I think it's going from founder led to mission led. Once you start to get that traction, it really is time to remember that you had big dreams when you started this company. But it takes that shift from founder-led and what's the value to me and how much of the pie do I have into mission-led and, and that organization is an entity onto itself and you're fueling it and you have to trust that if it's successful, you are personally going to have uh, lots of wealth. And it's been well demonstrated in our auto auto market with the successful um, companies we have now to serve uh, as, you know, we have a lot of good money uh, that's repopulating the angel community here too. So we're all quite aware that there's a lot of money be to be made by sharing in a smaller piece of a bigger pie. Okay. And you know, what's interesting with that answer is um, it, it, uh, it requires the co-founders, as you just indicated, Susan, to shift their focus. And there's actually, I would suspect, an emotional part of that. So, uh, uh, Jason, I want to come back to you because, you know, one of the things that I think about when it comes to Lightship um, is, is that there is an emotional component to are we ready? You, you start a venture, you pour your heart and soul and sometimes all your personal savings into it. And then, you know, to sell the company to someone else, is that a, an emotional thing too, Jason? 
Yeah, hundred percent emotional. And in our case, um, you know, we were a little bit unique in that way. There's four co-founders, equal co-founders, which everyone told us at the outset we should not do. Bad idea alert. <laughs> but uh, it worked really well. And the important thing is to just be have alignment on what you know when when do you want to sell, why do you want to sell, and and what do you want to have happen post acquisition, right? So we spent a lot of time and energy figuring those things out prior to starting the engagement and that that paid huge dividend okay we'll we'll start the 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 wrap-up fahim but i want to give you an opportunity just to kind of give a final thought on this so let's say there's someone watching or listening to this and you know they're two three years kind of like um you were at trellis uh into a growth you get this awesome market opportunity it's the right time right product right service what, what advice would you give them in, in like in the decision-making process, uh, Fahim? I, I think, and you, you touched a bit about an emotion and I wanted to just mention something on that front, <clears throat> having the VCs um, that you, that you, uh, that you brought on and you work with the VCs is always, uh, there's a little sense of pressure there as well to deliver. And I think that pressure actually is positive. Again, it depends on the kind of VCs you bring in. And we were very fortunate to bring in VCs that are very supportive, but it also adds a little pressure and that keeps us moving in the right direction. And I, I think if you can find the right partner um, to, to work with, I think it's always gonna be a positive and, and, and there'll be a lot of positive energy that keeps us moving in, in, in that, uh, building on that vision. That's a really interesting point, Fahim. So it's kind of like having an executive coach or personal coach, like the trainer, right? Like there's already a lot of pressure in Trellis to perform, and I'm sure you're a self-driven guy, but sometimes the venture capital is just going to push you a little bit. Exactly. But I mean, you want, again, you have to, you want to vet the the people that are, that are investing. They should understand the space. You want some smart money at the table, right? Because they can open doors for you as well as they have, you know, you have that, pressure at the back of, at the back of your mind making sure that we're we're taking the ship in the right direction all right and, and jason let's give you a, a final kind of wrap-up word and then susan we'll, we'll come back to you to uh to put some context around all of this uh so again it, it was a giant decision for the for the owners of and, and board of of lightship to sell uh if someone again is watching or listening to this jason what advice would you give them in terms of that like decision making checklist that they're going through yeah, well, you know, it's it's all about timing, right? It's it's mm-hmm. it's revisiting that strategic vision. We were doing that every, you know, we'd have uh, we'd have strategy sessions every quarter and keep revisiting that goal. When you know, when are we going to do this and keep course correcting? And the other piece I will say is, once you make that decision, stay focused on the business during due diligence. I mean, due diligence with a large publicly traded company goes on for a long time, and it's difficult, right? It's difficult to stay focused on the business, to continue to execute at the level you were and and go through all that process to make sure you've kind of got your uh, support mechanisms in place and that be, be ready for, you know, uh, a big distraction to the business. Love that point because you could just get swallowed up by the um, uh, by the entire process and, and the fundamentals of the business are suffering, right, Jason? Exactly. Okay, listen, uh, Jason, uh, Fahim, what a, what a great way to uh, share this knowledge, share your experiences. It takes a little bit of courage to step up uh, into the public here and, and uh, share things uh, with this much transparency. So we're going to thank both of you, Susan. You're sticking around. But uh, thanks, Jason. Thanks, Fahim. We really appreciate your involvement today. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, Susan. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. 
Oh, I, Susan, I love this. This is a great topic. I envy you and your, your job. Like this is, <laughs> this you, got a, you got front row seats to, uh, wow. Some, some interesting things, but any thoughts again, we've got a few minutes here to explore and unpack some of what we heard today Two really, by the way, seasoned savvy entrepreneurs, and we had the right people on the show today, but what are your thoughts? Yeah, they, you, you're right. They are. And, uh, they have that kind of mindset, uh, that they can objectively view things. I think that's a great plus. Um, I think it comes down to timing and readiness. So we're, we're pulling on that thread of ready that we discussed um, last time, um, but it's still very relevant because when the timing presents, you want to be able to seize it. And um, the timing is, is both external, um, what's going on in the market, in the globe, um, from a funding opportunity standpoint, what's going on from a behavior standpoint. Like I sold uh, Givopoli in 2018, not knowing that there was a pandemic around the corner and the whole world was going to go e-commerce. So some things, you know, you don't know. And then, uh, and then um, but being ready at any given point. So sometimes people underestimate that readiness. Due diligence is a tough, as Jay pointed out, tough um, process to go if you're not ready. But if that's part of your regular hygiene um, to have your files up to date and ready for any opportunity, then it can turn more fun. It can be, um, I mean, I think these two guys know how to have fun in business. And I think that's what we all kind of aspire to do. Um, and uh, there's lots going to be lots more new opportunities presenting ourselves, uh, yeah. presenting themselves to us throughout the year. I think too. It, it's a it's a plug for number crunch, but it, you know it's a necessary one here because I get your point, right? That you have to be ready for various paths. So in this case, if they didn't have their their books and their their bank statements and and their you know IP even stuff like IP and that Susan like all of this stuff has to be in order for uh, co-founders to be able to make those decisions uh, and not have, you know, some sort of uh, accounting based or IP based thing screw up the, the process, right? Absolutely. And, you know, you don't have to hire us in order to do it. These are the types of things that businesses can do on their own. You can do it um, internally with whoever, whatever staff you're working with. However, if you are going from founder led to mission led, you're going to want to decentralize and, you know, focus on your zone of genius. Um, hire the right people for the right thing so that it is done right. And, you know, we have a lot of experience, a lot of bench strength in having done this, having understood what, um, you know, investors and acquirers are going to want to look at it. And on the reverse of it, too, some Ottawa companies may be looking for opportunities to acquire someone to fill out their revenue because there's some in tech, you want to continue to grow that revenue. So organic revenue growth, investment revenue growth or acquiring companies, um, Having a you know somebody that can look at that objectively uh, can be helpful. So that's you know we're here in the market to try to help with that and help move companies along faster than they otherwise would be able to. Cool. So listen, they don't have to hire Number Crunch, but we hope they do. <laughs> so we're going to bring your contact. Uh, in, yeah, we were going to bring your contact information on screen. Here's how people can contact Susan. There you go. There's a, a old fashioned phone number. You can phone Susan. Talk to her on the you phone. Can. <laughs> you can email her. Her inbox is probably like mine, out of control. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or you could go visit their website. By the way, your website has all sorts of useful blogs and and helpful tips, uh, Susan. So thank you. Yeah, we are trying to share. You know, on LinkedIn, you can follow us too. We try to put out a lot of content that's just value add, just tips and tricks for founders um, with that to keep the finances in mind. A lot of it is just you know, so you have something to think about on that drive in the shower, um, little um, snippets that we try to share freely. Yeah. 
Yeah, in the shower. I like that one. <laughs> <laughs> That's where my best ideas come. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it does. Yeah, sometimes. So listen, Susan, we're coming to the end of the show. So thank you for participating. You added that great expertise and context to the discussions we had with Fahim and Jason. So thank you very much for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. It's always a great pleasure, Michael. Yeah, yeah. It was lots of fun, too. So bye-bye. Yes. <laughs> And, uh, and before we do round uh, uh, wrap things up for today, I do want to recognize uh, several of the sponsors that line up and make this Techopia project possible. Here they are. Techopia is brought to you by many great sponsors, such as EY, building a better working world. Number Crunch, offering virtual CFO services for SaaS companies. Pearlie Robertson, Hill & McDougall a leader in business and technology sector law, TD Bank, specialized programs for technology companies, the University of Ottawa Faculty of Engineering, creating the next generation of technical talent, Callion, innovative solutions delivered with integrity. Techopia is not only a podcast, we post new articles daily at obj.ca slash techopia. If you're on Facebook or Twitter, you can find Techopia at Techopia O-T-T. And if you're on YouTube, please subscribe and click the bell icon. And I really did have fun uh, today. The, there's nothing that gets us more excited at Ottawa Business Journal than talking to successful entrepreneurs and then experts like Susan and wrapping that up into a package. So hopefully we can help improve the community in some ways that provide a little bit of uh, real insight into what's happening into the market and uh, maybe even a little bit of strategic guidance. But again, talk to the professionals. You don't, uh, don't, don't take any of this from uh, OBJ and Techopia. So that's all the time we have for today. Techopia is uh, back with our show. In fact, the next episode is going to be devoted to how some technology leaders in Ottawa are trying to help people in Ukraine, which is, you know, a heartbreaking developing story that we're watching here in Ottawa. And hopefully we'll be welcoming, uh, by the way, some Ukrainians to our city in uh, in the coming days and weeks. Uh, so stay tuned for that episode. Uh, on behalf of OBJ and all of our sponsors, thanks for watching. Take care. Bye-bye.